Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Courts Talks where I talk about all topics of interest to me, political, economic, social, technological, legal, ethical, environmental, cultural, you name it, I'll speak about it. And today I think I'm going to talk about the topic of generational trauma and how it can manifest in many different ways. I was watching a documentary about hoarding and hoarding is basically the act of keeping items, excessive items and um. I think because I, I've had a clear out of my own bedroom, I have had a bit of an epiphany as to what I wanted to keep and what I wanted to get rid of. And I found a lot of it was not useful to me, stuff I did not use. I had to donate to charity um, and essentially buy a whole new wardrobe. But it was a rewarding experience to be able to let go of items that I assumed I would keep forever. But none of it had sentimental value. Uh, it was just a case of me re-wearing a lot of clothes and um, it reminds me of I think I saw maybe a tweet or an Instagram post about how hoarding is likely a reaction to generational trauma the idea that people who lack things try to keep as many things as possible in the event that they need it and it made me think to myself I was in a space of lack a couple of months last years ago whereby I felt like I didn't have anything um, going to and from university I had a bag of clothes that I knew I would have to return back to my house because I didn't have that many clothes in my wardrobe. And it made me realise what we value in terms of materialism and what we don't. And I realised I'm not too much of a materialistic person. I like to look good, but on a budget, very much within my um, within my income stream. However... As I've gotten older, I realised that most of the behaviour that we exhibit towards other people or to ourselves is a rea- reaction to the trauma that we've dealt with. So I read a bit about ghosting recently. Um, if you don't know what ghosting is, it's basically ceasing contact with somebody without any communication. And I myself have been ghosted and I have ghosted people before. And I thought to myself, why do people do it? Um, is it okay? When is it justified? When is it proportionate? And of course, there's a hundred, hundred different events and caveats whereby someone will say, this person was toxic to me or I had a build-up of resentment or I just didn't want to be with a person anymore, whatever. And this is their explanation and justification as to why they separated from a person. But I, I guess, having been ghosted before, was... Okay, I'm not sure exactly where the recording left off, but I think I was speaking about um, generational oh, trauma and ghosting and how so much of what we are today is how we've been treated or how our minds rationalise things. And rationality is something that as somebody who has anxiety, I've struggled with because sometimes a proportionate response is difficult for me. But as I've gotten busier in life, I've become much less irrational. I feel like for me... The antidote to irrationality is definitely productivity and just trying. Whereas before, I would just sit in the space of, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to start, I don't know how to do it, and so I wouldn't. But my morning routine has improved. I wake up, I don't just grab my phone, I will stand up, stretch, have a glass of water, just get ready for the day before I engage with other people's thoughts. And I think that for a lot of people, social media is a big
um, trigger for irrationality and anxiety because you're seeing multiple opinions on a daily basis, trying your best not to internalise them or internalising them and then kind of fighting. But I have a big uh, promise that I've made to myself quite recently whereby I'm not going to argue with anybody that's not in front of me. Like, I cannot be arguing with somebody that's not in front of me. So if someone sends me a message, calls me, and they want to be annoying or frustrate me, I will just ignore it. And that's my new plan of action. And it worked very well because I feel like, especially in the home, which is your sanctuary, a space whereby you're supposed to feel good about yourself, I cannot invite that kind of level of anxiety and frustration. And I'm sure some will say, you know, that just makes you a bad communicator. But I've said it before, I'll say it again. Mobile phones are a recent phenomena. Years ago, you never had this much intrusion into people's lives, whether it be by the things they share on social media or the engagement you have when you're not in the same space as them. I am a very deliberate face-to-face, in-her-presence type of person. So if you want to engage with me, you better catch me outside, as that girl said. Um, Bad Bunny, B, I've forgotten her name. But um, yes, so in terms of ghosting, in terms of generational trauma... I think a lot of us have dealt with things like the silent treatment from perhaps family or friends. And so we rationalise that as a healthy response to difficulty. But, but of course, it's not always relevant in certain situations. Sometimes multiple events have accrued to the point whereby we feel uncomfortable engaging with the person again. Sometimes it's a major falling out. Sometimes it's a minor falling out. Sometimes it's just a case of I've got too much stuff going on within my own life. I don't have time or space to cater to you. Um, I'm a big believer in being single if you don't have anything to give to a person in a relationship. And um, I I at one point thought I was a commitment phobe. But truth was, I didn't have anything to give anybody else. So I refuse to be in a relationship with somebody who would then essentially say I don't give enough, you know. And um, I think that knowledge of self is uncomfortable for people because I'm big on investigating my desires and my my wants and needs. And to be honest, I'm a very inward person anyway. But once I questioned these things, I realised a lot of the time what I was looking for was not in the form that society says I should go and get. So if I was lonely, the society might say, okay, get a romantic partner. In reality, I just wanted friends, you know. Or um, I was tired and society said, okay, rest. But actually, I need to get some stuff done, like important stuff. You have to be mindful of what society will say to you. Um society might tell you to get this particular qualification but they don't let you know the ramifications of that qualification and again I'm a big person I'm a big on uh, doing research for myself and things that I care about which is why I made this podcast to talk about political social economic themes that relate to the self that relate to the state and then that relationship in between so I'm aware about how capitalism functions and I'm aware how deficient we can often feel when we are trying to commit to ourselves to what would be a communal task, but capitalism has said is now an individual task. I don't think we're engineered to do so much as individuals. We are supposed to be able to rely on somebody else. And the hyper-individualism is a symptom of capitalism. 
and I try I have a problem with this um capitalism leaking into my personal relationships whereby in terms of the ghosting argument I always thought to myself when I don't want to be in the job anymore I tend to communicate but to be honest I really haven't been on fixed time contracts so I've never had that issue but relationship contracts don't exist in the same way as employment contracts do but I do carry the same themes of you know you explain why you don't want to be there anymore and the employee lets you go essentially and for relationships I feel like the same equation should follow you are not not happy in this situation you express a reason and then you leave I in my ghosting patterns towards other people and it's not been multiple it's only been one or two people have not communicated that only because I feel like just like how in employment someone might say why and then get you to stay I'm not keen on reconciling that relationship I'm not keen on getting a reference from that relationship I'm not keen on continuing it so I don't see why I have to explain in detail as to why I don't want to be there without hurting the other individual you know um, but I read a lot and I'm not completely I'm not completely vicious or unknowing of the fact that it hurts people to not know what's going on. But I'm also very aware of the fact that we are transient as human beings. We are not static. We are always moving. And the assumption that everything requires a confrontation, I think, is dishonest I think people can often tell themselves when something has gone wrong and are trying to push what I would define as a unilateral relationship whereby they want you in their lives for whatever reason and they can't accept the fact that you don't want them in your life why else would you want this so-called closure we speak about it in romantic relationships whereby somebody stops answering your texts and you don't get the hint that they don't want to speak to you. Now, of course, there could be a very difficult event going on in their lives. They could be going through something. They could have had a change of heart. You don't actually know. And a response would help clear that up. But people also lie, okay? And people change. Like I said, people are not static. So... Something that someone might like about you today, in a week, they may no longer like, for whatever reason. If we want people to express that they no longer like you for that reason, what are you then going to do about it? Are you going to change it? Because I'm not a believer in changing for somebody. I'm a believer that you stay as you are, I'm just not going to be in that space. And I think that's fair enough. But everyone is different. I can accept that. But the way I've grown, especially as an adult, I've kind of accepted that some relationships just come to an end. And that's not a bad thing. It just seems like nowadays people are very afraid to admit that I don't want to be with this person verbally. So they show it in another way through some lack of communication, and the other person just can't accept it. Now, of course, it's different if someone has been leading you on, giving you promises, 
But I do think the reason why women are mostly scarred by it is because they extend a lot towards these people. And I just would encourage that they shouldn't, that they don't. I've stopped extending myself to people that I don't know that well. Because the insecurity, as people keep saying, it breeds when you're no longer able to engage with that person will be horrific. I have to live my life. We have to live our lives. We have to let go. The hoarding, from what I understand, is a clinical issue. It's something that can be diagnosed by a clinical psychologist. It's not just a bad habit, kind of like OCD, where people just say, oh, you wash your hands often, or oh, you're so obsessive and repetitive. Like, no, these are conditions that are recognised in the literature. But again... I think it comes from a pattern. The show I was watching about hoarding, the girl told, the girl is named, her name's Jasmine Harmon, I believe. And um, she is of Greek Cypriot ancestry. And immediately I thought to myself, because I didn't even know she was Greek Cypriot, I just assumed she was English. She's of Greek Cypriot ancestry. And she spoke about her mum, who was a major hoarder years ago. And has now been on the recovery path. And I thought to myself, her mum may have came from a space of loss, being either an immigrant or the daughter of immigrants, and felt the need to keep everything that she could. Because in the documentary, I think it's a docu-series, you also see a bunch of other people profiled. And that includes... Um, a Nigerian woman who came to England maybe 25 years ago and has hoarded all of the items that were sent from Nigeria to the UK to the point where her house is filled with them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is often a symptom of poverty. People keeping as many items as possible because they can't let go for fear of needing it one day. It's that irrationality that we see manifest in other disorders for young people, but in older people, I would imagine, in their belongings. I see this also in another example where the 87-year-old woman, who was alive during World War II and used to recycle excessively during World War II and has had, I guess, housing insecurity whereby she's been put in temporary accommodation before and the council have fiddled with her items. Her hoarding is a response to that trauma to that intrusion in her homing life and I can't deny that it's women in particular again holding on to things in both of these examples now I'm not a psychologist I studied psychology at a level as level gone a some decent but I am by no means qualified and I'm just guessing but I feel like women in the conditions that they're often diagnosed with, whether that's borderline personality disorder, depression, anxiety, hoarding, or being extreme victims of ghosting, have had this level of conditioning that they like to hold on to things, you know? And maybe my experience with men has made me quite cold and I've learned from them, mirrored them in their behaviour towards me, because now I try to not hold on to anything, 
too close, except my closest family, who even depart from me as well, and my closest friends who even depart from me as well. I try to keep um, a tentative relationship with people, whereby I'm never so deep that their absence destroys me. And I don't feel like women have that element. But again, this is something that I feel like I learned from men. And learning from men is not always the best way because, yeah, as we see with the patriarchy, some of their behavioural traits that they've conditioned to have are extremely dangerous to their psyche. And it's no coincidence that the biggest killer of men under 40 is suicide because they are conditioned to be a certain way. But I find that (laughs) moving through life nomadically definitely helps free up space for new individuals, new experiences, new spaces. And I'm really big on that, especially at this age. There will probably be a time where I want to hold on to things, but there's nothing and no one I rely on so heavily, fortunately, that if they were to leave my life, I would be completely and utterly destroyed. And I think that women are not allowed this conditioning. I've definitely caught flack for it, whereby I've been so ambivalent towards people. I've told people when they've tried to explain something to me, like, you don't have to explain because I'm not going to explain when I do the same thing or similar thing. And they do feel the need to, which I can understand. But perhaps my lack of emotional investment in them means that it doesn't really matter what their explanation is. You know, I don't really mind too much. That sound that you're hearing right now is the beautiful rain pouring down in the garden. I am so fortunate to have my room overlook my garden because I hear this peaceful drizzle whenever the rainfall arrives but um yeah I'm realizing that so much of what I am and who I am is a response to what I've dealt with who I've been around and what I've been treated like and as much as I don't want to be like a super mirror or projection of that I am super aware of the fact that I am who I am And I can't constantly abide by what some other people say I should be because of what they think or what suits them. I have to protect myself in this life. I have to teach myself. I have to make my own money. I have to learn by myself. And no one is going to do that for me. If I add my demography to the mix, then it's even worse. Luckily, I have a good network of people. But again, without them, I can still thrive. I can still do well. And I think that's the basis of life. As they say, if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. So I'm big on community care, huge on community care. But I know when to delegate things out to community and I know when to do things myself. My expression goes into my journal. My mental health difficulties go to a psychologist or therapist or a counsellor. My body image issues are dealt with medically or lifestyle-wise or 
at the salon, like, I've listed things in my mind, what I want to attack, what I want to challenge, because I'm a big believer in complaining, you know, complain all you like, but definitely be be solution-oriented. I can't continue to converse about this stuff all the time. I just have to do it at some point. And I feel like people are such talkers. They don't want to do anything. Like, even in relation to this new documentary by Leanne Pinnock from uh, Little Mix, Race, Pop and Power, where she speaks about racism that she's dealt with in the industry. And so many people have flack for her in saying her experience as a lighter-skinned woman. And expecting nuance from a platform like BBC, I don't understand why anyone would, because it's the BBC. But, okay. Um, This is the same platform that aired the N-word. You know, it's not really the most politically correct platform. platform. I would um, would definitely not go to them for any racial commentary. But I guess with the new agenda of diversity and inclusion, these are hot topics to speak about. Fair enough. Um, I also don't expect much in terms of depth in terms of racism obviously is different depending on the shade of your skin because of colorism and Leanne Pinnock is a very light-skinned woman and I'm sure she doesn't deny that but this is a a documentary designed for white people to be educated and I'm not opposed to that why would I spend time bashing it when I could just focus on the platforms that do promote my stories which is the Black Ballad, The Voice and the Gaudans of the world you know they do exist independent media that serves black communities does exist I'm not going to spend my time or energy on the documentary on the mainstream platform that only now discovered racism. That it's not for my audience. It's not designed for someone like me. But what I will say is that I think people are getting things crossed because I can acknowledge Beverly Knight, Joan Armour Trading, Keisha Buchanan, Alexandra Burke, Jamelia, Beverly Knight. Heather Small, Desiree. I mean, the list goes on of how many darker-skinned black British women were sidelined in industry versus your Emily Sandes, Leona Lewis's, Leanne Pinnock's, um, Kareen Bailey-Ray's, um, who else? Mabel Ray, all of these lighter-skinned or mixed-race celebrities, or Georgia Smith. I blame the industry for platforming the lighter skinned and mixed race women above the darker skinned black women. But one thing I'm recognizing is that the racial reckoning that people want, that they are thirsty for, is misapplied, it's misappropriated independent media is the only place you're going to find that kind of resolution and reckoning. You're not going to find it on the mainstream platform at all. Like, get that out of your head. I'm very much going along Toni Morrison's lines right now of being understood and white gaze and not knowing that 
what you produce is going to be consumed by an audience. And depending on the way you create that story will determine your audience's response. That documentary you're seeing by Leanne Pinnock is deliberately watered down. It's not complex enough. But it's not for black people. Especially not black women. And I feel like that's okay. There's much to be said about what we are fighting for in terms of freedom, liberation. And like I always say, the core elements of humanity are the things I am fighting for. Access to healthcare, access to living wage, freedom to walk the street without a stop and search. These are the kind of elements that I don't want to go disturbed. Everything else, the media representation, representation at senior level, I don't want to say it's a bonus, because that's not the word, but it's definitely not a priority to me, you know? Yes, we can eat and chew at the same time, but I'm focused on the things that are literally killing my people, which is poor access to healthcare, poverty, and I guess disruption of day-to-day life. That's killing self-esteem, violence, of course, as well in the community, domestic, interpersonal, and financial abuse between partners. It's a bunch of things that I'm focused on that go far beyond who is on television, me that barely watches television anymore. So in keeping this relationship with myself, this promise to myself, I'm also not extending energy into people or things, which relates back to my hoarding and ghosting point. I'm letting it all go. Like, the world can do what it wants. I need to do what I want. I need to make enough money to not only survive and live, but thrive. I need to make sure that my circle is patterned so the people that support me are there for me. And if they're not, I'm there for myself because I need to live regardless and I need to achieve every goal I've set for myself that's pretty much it there's no if ands or buts in that respect and I ain't saying get rid of winning Zemo I'm definitely saying I'm not gonna expect anybody to do anything for me anymore not that I ever did because again my demography doesn't allow me to but I will just focus on myself, my life, and what I care about, and make it work regardless. I can't be disappointed by somebody, because why would I even give them the responsibility to uphold my values? They are not me. I am not them. We are different individuals. Oh, here the rain comes again. Yeah, so I guess that would be the end of my episode, and try not to dwell I am just letting things go. Relationships, items, and expectations. Of course, like I said, I expect to be treated like a human being and not to be disrespected in a medical facility or education, employment. Obviously, there are roots of recourse for that. And right on the street, whether I'm being followed or harassed or whatever in a shop. Other than that, 
I'm not keen to be validated by whiteness in any way. It doesn't even esteem me to be on white-owned platforms at all. Like, I'm like, great, the voice or the word is out there, but I'm not here to impress them. And that's one thing I've learned about myself. I'm here to impress myself. And I have some stupid high standards for myself that I fail to meet on a regular basis. So I need to pattern up and level up and meet them. And I know I will in due time, but I'm just saying this because I feel like so many people are essentially waiting for other people to make them feel good about themselves, make them feel validated, make them feel seen or represented. But I just don't care at all. I'm not even in the slightest in terms of whiteness. It's not something I can esteem myself on. How could I? I'm black, you know? I might live, yes, in a majority white country, but I'm a black woman at the end of the day. I need to impress myself and not be bothered by other people's perception of me. Um, but that doesn't give them the license to kill me. It just means that you can dislike me. That's fine. What else do I have to say? Not much. I think that's it. A learning lesson. Let go of expectation. Let go of relationships and let go of items that no longer serve you don't feel guilty for it people want you to over explain or confront constantly tell them why how who what where so you can try and convince you otherwise don't let them be you unapologetically they will call you selfish Ask them how anyone has ever gone anywhere besides using selfishness. And then get back to me. Alright, episode over. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate taking the time to hear me talk. And I hope you take care. I look forward to posting another episode soon enough. Thank you for your time. Bye.